Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast presented by me, Toby Haydock, and me, Toby Haydock, with a spiky face, in which I watch Doctor Who and try to guess what my special guest's favourite things about their nominated story are. My name is Fraser Gregory. I am a part-time podcaster. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can find me on The Diamond Be Praised, uh, Gallifrey's Most Wanted, Doctor Who Literature with Jason Miller, uh, The Trap One Podcast, uh, but mostly you'll find me on A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife with my good friends Joe Ford and Simon Hart. Today I have come to discuss my favourite story from season 18 of Doctor Who, which is Megloss. Well, hello everybody. It's time for the final part of Megloss, which I hope takes you to happy times and places. Although, it has to be said, the times are somewhat truncated, even if the places are all present and correct. And uh, it's it's pretty much all of the places uh, of the whole story, because we go back to Zulfathura in this final episode I see I mean the image I have in my head of this is lots of sort of wandering around the uh, the scene sink stuff in that sort of night isn't it um, and I do remember watching uh, you know this this when it went out I I sort of remember the bit where the the two the two Tom Bakers face each other and other little images and it's funny isn't it how how those images from the first time we watched it uh, stay in our head even though you know I've seen this many times since but um, I still feel the you know I still I still recall the sort of feel and the vague ambience of where I was when I when I watched this when it went out and this is the I, I remember season 17 you know mostly I remember bits where I, you know bits from each story um, but but uh, season 18 I was was when I was probably my first proper um, season maybe as a fan I don't know well I don't know it's difficult yeah I was certainly excited by Doctor Who when I watched season 17 but I don't know it somehow felt more complete an experience or maybe I was more in control of it or whatever uh, watching season 18 you know I, I, I remember I have very strong memories of this as a boy which was a long time ago and Megloss you know, I enjoyed as much as any of the others. I, there was no stylistic difference between Megloss to me and any of the other stories. In fact, as I say, I've, I've, I'm, you know, the sort of maths in a lay-by of Logopolis. I, you know, its its subtleties and intricacies were slightly lost on me, and I was desperate for it not to be about changing tires or wandering around with a ruler. But that's just me. I do understand the, uh, the, the, the you know the great beauties of of logopolis now um and i'm probably sometimes in more of a mood to watch logopolis now than i am megloss but i think megloss you know trots away and uh you know is is it doesn't outstay its welcome as we will discover it <laughs> i mean it almost decides to end the party rather early so let us uh watch from the beginning as I and I hope you are going to enjoy the, 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 the 19 or so minutes of Megloss, part four, in three, two, one. 
Now, of course, I've got to remember to be on the eye out for something I like about this episode, but also for something I like about the whole of Megalos. Uh, somebody on my Patreon page, God bless them, has checked, uh, and uh, Crawford Logan is credited with playing Megalos. I think I might have said this uh, on one of the previous episodes, but is is credited with playing Megalos uh, on the Blu-ray. So uh, somebody found that bit of paper, if there was a bit of paper, or somebody listened to my podcast. It doesn't matter, so long as it is correct. That is all I'm after. Now, this is fascinating, isn't it? Because they've started two scenes before the final scene. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a short episode, but it's also a short episode that has quite a lot of uh, a, a footage we've already seen. It's James Gould, by the way. Thank you, James, uh, who went to the trouble to check the season 18, uh, the season 18 production notes to see that Crawford Logan was correctly credited as the voice of Megalos in part one. So um, we're still we're still on footage from that. That, that Fraser has chosen uh, Romana's costume. So I'm I'm now looking at it and it's not only is it a gorgeous sort of scarlet color, um, it has flowers on it. So it's sort of apposite for the planet, you know, the surface of the planet. It's like her costume uh, in some way uh, is a symbolic representation of the uh, psychotic vegetable life of the planet Tigella that they're going to be kind of just <laughs> numbered with at the end of the story because um they don't they don't actually get the dodecahedron back do they um uh, the costumes are great uh, i th- i think the 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 color scheme the the purple or pinky pinky pink and black always goes well together i remember around this time at school one of the great things that we had as children that was that was akin to rocket science when I was a boy, which you might not be, uh, t- t- which which you might not have had, and and the young amongst you won't realise. Uh, this Tom, I think, is slightly doing his. Uh, I'm gonna kinda. It's his slightly half-assed cliffhanger acting. Can I say that? And and slightly, there's a slight sort of comical edge. Look, he does the sort of. He's not being entirely serious when he does that, and he's not being entirely committed to it. I, I don't think he 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 does occasionally do a cliffhanger ending. A, there's a, like at the end of the Sunmakers where he kind of does a. Now that final shot, no, fair enough. He's kind of going for it there, but it, I'm I'm still not I'm still not sure he's entirely committed to it. Anyway, so now we're in. I think I I think it's something like is that about three and a half minutes, uh, and then we get and then we have fifty seconds at the end for the closing title. So that's about that's about just just over four, four minutes twenty something like that. So of the nineteen minutes, it's still we still only get about fifteen minutes. <laughs> but anyway, yes, the rocket science that we had when I was. Uh, younger was that because um, pink and black you'd think oh they're opposites they don't they don't work um, but uh, you would have um, you'd have coloured pens uh, like felt tip pens like a black one and you'd get this this white one as well and if you painted something black uh, coloured something in black you could then put this white one through it and it would strip away some of the colour and it would be pink uh, it would it would you know it would make it pink and it did that with other colours as well you know there would be a, a pen would basically be uh, a felt tip would be two colours one colour you know on the on the pen top and one color on the pen base or whatever and uh, and you could have hours of fun that, i mean that was that was science to us that was that i mean i remember my my nan got me a set of them for 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 christmas and uh 
yes, it was basically you, you know your your five or six felt tip pens, but it was two felt tip pens because you could do a clever thing with this white ink, and I've completely forgotten about those until seeing because the, it, that pink and that black of the uh, Dion's costumes were pretty much uh, the, the 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 two ends of the the scale on the on the black uh, the black felt tip. Um, He's got wonderful eyes. I mean, it's a it's a sort of boggle eye off, isn't it? To, to Tom Baker and and uh, and Bill Fraser. And I was going to say, um, you don't get beards like that anymore. But uh, actually, I've just watched that rather wonderful episode of The Last of Us with Murray Bartlett and Nick Offerman. And uh, I, you know, they're better than General Grugger's beard, but they are still applied beards. So uh, I was going to say, yeah, you don't get beards like that anymore. You kind of do. Um, there's a, there's actually some very nice... Terence Dudley shoots some of these close-ups very, very nicely, and I think the lighting is very effective in this story. And this... I, I wonder... I mean, bits bits of people keep <laughs> keep disappearing with the CSO here. I, I mean, I again, I kind of applaud the, uh, the ambition, and I like these big screens, but, I mean, Meglos hasn't got any legs there. Um, I mean, he's he's almost sort of fading into the sand, uh, but I I don't know. I um, and as I say, I used to I used to be very worried about CSO in in the older days. I wonder if it's been slightly approved. Excuse me, I, I yawned. Then that's not nothing to do with Megalos. It's to do with the fact that it's quite late, and I'm trying to make. I'm doing this at the end of. Oh, God, I mean, Tom Baker looks like he was walking. He was he was Long John Silver on both legs there. Um, Ah, oh, the lovely, the lovely running joke about the doctor's coat, which I like. <laughs> it's a rather nice coat. Now that he's finished playing the doctor, there we are. I mean, that's uh, because it hadn't been announced, and I don't think he'd even decided that he wasn't playing the doctor anymore. So, uh, you know, that's a that's a joke that actually uh, ends up being. Uh, where where time actually gives it a resonance that it it didn't have at the time because uh he hadn't uh, it hadn't been announced that he was leaving at this point so um i'm pretty cer certain anyway i'm pretty certain no i know it wasn't i know it wasn't i remember when warriors gate was on i was anticipating you know when when tom baker was going to be leaving i knew i knew by then that he was leaving i'm pretty certain let's not get into that that's not what these are for you can look up dates i'm not going to look up dates before these these are these are reactions uh, memories uh, you know observations right so this now this scene is an extraordinary thing so we've had no establishing that that le where lexa is the start of the scene she's got her back to camera and, and with within seconds of the scene uh, she's she's done the sort of jump in front of a gun to save Romana. It doesn't look like that in the execution. I mean, Lala Ward then gives it some real gravitas. She looks desperately sad in the close-up uh, after the, the extra who's had his gun rather shabbily kicked away, half-heartedly kicked away by Crawford Logan. It's still within his reach. And presumably what it was was he was mortally injured and he went to shoot Romana and then he died. Um... And and uh, but and Lexa jumped in the way of the laser beam. But that is not what happens on screen. Basically, 
everyone's saying goodbye you then see him shoot and there's a bit of if it's not adr it's uh it's certainly a sort of cursory off off camera shout of look out romana or whatever uh he then sort of goes to sleep um Crawford Logan sort of half-heartedly kicks the gun, but not at actually any distance. And uh, Lex is dead, and Romana gives it, you know, that, that beefy, hefty, you know, she saved my life that uh, that is a staple of uh, such occasions. But it, it didn't look like that, that she did. And also, I mean, I'm baffled as to why. Had they even met? <laughs> I'm not sure they had. Uh, but it, even if they had, not, I mean, I would say not enough. Um I think that's one of the most shoddily executed scenes in the whole of Doctor Who history. Uh, So it it does feel slightly frayed at the edges. I'm sort of pleased that it exists because um, it sort of shows how those sort of scenes could, you know, how how more often things like that could happen with the time against Doctor Who and, and, you know, know, the the difficulties of multi-camera. And, and Terence Dudley hasn't shot all of this particularly badly. And in fact, I I, I did like the fact that the, uh, you know, the big the, the big stone temple building had a ceiling on it as well, so he could get some quite low angles because you don't normally see ceilings in Doctor Who. And occasionally we've had sets that have had ceilings for artistic purposes, but that was a practical ceiling because you had to see the stone. But anyway, it meant that uh, all the angles there were nice. Uh, and I think it's fun that uh, it's now night on Zolfathura because it means that when the TARDIS landed, you could basically land it in front of a black a, ba- a black backcloth and just have a bit of uh, this this throbbing of the dodecahedron is beautiful, um, and I I like these I, you know, I like these this the, the the model that everyone's been sort of projected onto I think it's ambitious and I I think it looks rather good and I do love a model anyway there's something and this is now this is quite fun because he's only a, a supporting artiste with Sholak from the Rebos Operations helmet. They, you, you could you could throw in a line where they say, you know, uh, we, yeah, we, we've 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 just we've just been to the planet Rebos and you know pilfered some bodies. Uh, but um, uh, you know, I, I this this is the same as the well done him for going to grab the coat and then not. I think that's quite funny, and and we can afford that because he's only a, a, an extra. You know, Grugger and Brotterdack are doing the the talking, and anyway, they're now very much secondary villains because Meglos is the the main threat. So the fact that a, a sort of walk on, uh, a, a piratical supernumerary is left holding the screen up, I think is quite fun. Uh, and uh, it, I mean, Romana leading Grugger and Brotterdack round, you know, the wrong way and outwitting them there does undermine them slightly. But I mean, they're comedy villains anyway. So I, I you know, I. If if anyone wanted to argue that 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 d- diluted the threat somewhat, I'd 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 accept it. But I think having a having a stupid guard is all well and good. Uh, quite now, why he's just walked in though and not said anything. Well, we know why he hasn't said anything because he's not allowed to. He's an extra, uh, as is Bruce Callender there just walking off. Um, the, uh, uh, the so and and then there's the I noticed because I don't think they quite um, r- rationalise who was in the spaceship of the of the gas tax and and who's now on the planet uh it's whoever was booked for various days i think but uh tony aleph is the uh is the big one with them the big bald one with the mustache he uh he's in a couple of bond films i think and and did a few i think there's a few other doctor who's but you know only as a, a supporting artiste but again they're uh they're uh they are uh because he was he was 
somewhere Mediterranean, was he Greek, something like that? And there's, uh, you know, yes, there, there, there are there are different ethnicities amongst the uh, the uh, the gas tack extras. Um, and uh, yes, it's fun. It's fun spotting. It's because this is not a bad one for extras, actually. I think David Cleave is one of the uh, is one of the Dion's as well, and he he dates back. Well, he's one of the few people who was credited as an actor, David Wollescroft in the Space Museum, who then ends up sort of doing supporting work and is an extra as David Cleave, uh, you know, from uh, Time Warrior, something like that. And he was also the partner of I think of Charles Pemberton. Who's a who's a Cyberman in Tomb of the Cybermen? Who who actually did do quite a lot of acting work, usually playing sort of rotund mayors and and police mustachioed policemen. Uh, both of their pictures hang in the club for acts and actors, where I occasionally hang around. Oh well, actually, I hang around uh, when I'm in London. I'm a member, uh, and I love this, this 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 repeated punch is quite again. It's quite funny. Um, um, <laughs> You know, they, they've done the gag. The doctor goes, oh, that looks painful. And then he gets delivered exactly the same. That's all quite fun. Um, with um, one of the, the more famous names, I mean, famous as in the sort of neck of the woods that I hang about in, in the club for acts and actors. I mean, occasionally we get Frank Williams, who was the vicar in Dad's Army, and Michael Leader, who was the... Uh, he was the milkman in EastEnders, but he's also one of the Terileptils in at the end of the visitation. And he always he, he claimed he I heard him once claiming to be the uh, the stormtrooper who banged his head on the door. Um, you know that stormtrooper, the 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 Woodstock of stormtroopers that every supporting artist who was in Star Trek claims to have been that stormtrooper, stormtrooper Woodstock. Um, but anyway, Pamela Cundell used to hold court drinking port. Uh, in the club for acts and actors, Mrs. Fox from Dad's Army, and she was the wife of Bill Fraser. And I would occasionally chat to Pamela, and she was lovely. So I'm one degree from Bill Fraser, but he was uh, he was no he he died. I mean, because and of course he was um, casting Canine and Company as well, so he seemed very much around at this time. I remember being being on Wogan as well. Um, I like the way that Tom Baker is quite insolent with his villains. You know, I was thinking of Zygons the other day, where he says, oh, you know, wave a tentacle. Uh, oh, and he, he, does, he does the grin in the wave. But the way he sort of sits with his arms folded or his, you know, and he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to... I'm." Uh, there's nothing more insulting if you're a grandstanding villain than a, a sort of shabby Time Lord not not being in awe of you, you know. Um, and, 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 you know, when he's doing the sort of cold, almost psychotic Megalos, he's, uh, you know, he is very, very unsettling. As I said the other the other day, I, I don't think it's a massively consistent performance. And this is another one of those scenes that is kind of, you know, shockingly executed. Uh, the poor old extra Bruce Callender here has, has been told to, to sort of stand there grinning at the dog. Uh, and then he gets smacked on the head by a rock, which doesn't knock him out. But then he has to stand there and, and doesn't react, so has to get shot twice. <laughs> Because they just have to sort of bridge that gap, and they go, "Well, let's bridge it by sh sh shooting it twice." And he, you know, he's hitting his marks, and he's turning around, and he's marking that, and then he's falling down. But because there's no cutting, uh, because you know, because it's multi-camera, because everything has to sort of be be marked, and it's got to have the space for the special effects. Oh, it's clunky. Um, and I mean, I think we noticed that stuff as kids. We sort of went, "Oh, you know." Um, 
and I, th- you know, because canine's gun always as well, because I think it's very difficult to get the the geometry right, isn't it? Uh, uh, you know, would quite often, you know, it's great. He's got a blaster, and he's got it, the blast comes out of his nose. But actually, depending on where it needed to hit the actor, that's the famous one, isn't there? In Nightmare of Eden, it sort of goes at a sort of funny angle. Uh, although, you know, that was not that was a slightly spread beam to get away with that. It's interesting that they don't bother to um, to do any of the the good guys are hoodwinked by Megloss or have to spend a bit. Of, I have to say, as, as somebody that's used to these kinds of stories, I, I, I'm quite pleased that we don't sort of waste our time with going, oh, but which one is Doctor Who and which one is Megloss? But, that, I mean, they really don't bother at all. You know, Megloss immediately goes, I am the bad guy. <laughs> and they go, oh, God, there we go. But um, I, I quite like uh, uh, I quite like that it slips away and we get to see... We, we get we get to see the uh, you, you know do you want to be atomized no <laughs> I love that I love the city gent um, and Megloss of course was going to be brought back in the lodger wasn't he he was going to be the bad guy in uh, in the Matt Smith story the lodger and the, the whole idea was going to be that doc, the doctor would go Megloss well, no I don't remember you which I would have found at once really annoying um, because I don't like Doctor Who not paying homage to its part, homage to its past, and not respecting what has come before. But also, really, really funny because you, you, something can be both of those things. Uh, you, you, what, um, what is it they they say in the League of Gentlemen when they eat human flesh, isn't it? What is it? Uh, I know it's wrong, but it feels so good. You, you can laugh at things that you kind of know deep, deep down you don't approve of, um, and that's all. That's, that's fine, you know. Um, five forts that sinking all of that it's uh and sadly we don't see uh we don't see this final scene that that model's great actually i love all of i love all of that the thing i love the thing rising out of the planet and sinking back down and uh you know it makes a virtue of that scene sink stuff so are we to understand that this main power source of the planet tigella is now just gone and look at every, everyone's at the back sort of uh, in, indulging in deforestation uh, which is you know they've been hiding all their lives um, I know there's been an argument saying you know well, we should do that but I, I suspect they'll find it harder now they don't have the source of all their power um, it would have been nice I, I mean actually no would it have been nice to see him return no I quite like the fact that he gets the close up uh, at the end the dear old uh, the dear old earthling um, ah damn sorry because I'm I've I've had remote control trouble, so I'm doing it on my phone. So by the time I called that up to do the closing credits, it had vanished. Uh, but we've we've had this. Uh, you've had my tirade about uh, online streaming services getting jumping away from the credits in a, with criminal speed. So I think you know where I stand on that. So that was a very short episode of Doctor Who. Oh, I have poor lovely. Bernard sleeping next to me. Okay, pal. Um, we've had a we've had a slightly rotten day. We had an altercation with a with a a mean dog in the park, and then a mean man. But then, uh, when the when I, I I managed to be calm about the whole thing. Now, of course, I've rehearsed millions of things I'd have loved to have said, but um, in the circumstances, I think. Logic tells me I was right to deflate the situation with the scary man with the scary dog. And God bless two members of the public who uh, called me over and made sure I was all right and assured me that, uh, you know, he was entirely in the wrong and 
I was entirely in the right and uh, that was nice. But anyway, so we've had quite a stressful day, haven't we, Bernard? So Bernard has been pressed right into me sleeping as I was watching uh, Meglos Part 4 uh, and uh, not had a good, you know, not, not a good evening, really. It's uh, sort of detoxing from that by kind of not doing very much, but I felt I needed to do something with the day. And, of course, what is Doctor Who if it is not, you know, an escape from the genuine struggles and fears of life into and I did I sort of forgot about it for I was going to say 25 minutes but that would have been optimistic but as soon as it finished I was back in the real world and I'm just making sure that Bernard's all right because he got uh, he got rather stressed because he got uh, he got sort of chest thumped by this over enthusiastic dog and then, then then I got threatened by his owner after I suggested that uh, he put his dog on a leash who kept coming back for more anyway you don't need to hear about that, but I think it's a, you know, an illustration. Uh, oh, I'm just ah, oh, it's cathartic, isn't it? Just to say stuff out loud. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend it's it's of any use to this podcast, but it is sometimes useful to th- say things out loud. I say a lot of things out loud, but I find that does help the, uh, you know, the demons to go away a little bit. That's why. That's why, you know, that's, that's why people go into therapy, isn't it? Some people have therapy. Some people have watching a Doctor Who story, trying to find the nice things about it. And also, you know, having your cares for the day get washed away. Uh, the, 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 the winds of time will wash us clean. Well, the 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 so will the jungles of Meg, of Tigella. Um, what's the uh, so anyway, oh, I like that. Uh, I like that line in episode one as well. Um, oh, I've got a um, that where Zastor says about the Doctor sees the threads that bind the universe together and mend them when they break. Just remembered that. See, even even as a story that has all sorts of problems with its uh, writing and its execution has glorious and lovely moments within. So I've got to choose. A favourite moment from episode four, or a favourite thing about episode four, and a favourite thing overall. And I've chosen, for episode one, I chose Jacqueline Hill, which I still think Fraser might choose. Uh, For episode... Oh, I can't remember what I've chosen now. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Oh no! For episode two, I chose that piece of music, didn't I? That uh, and that 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 piece of music that that uh, goes through a whole couple of scenes and was on Doctor Who's music. For episode three, I chose the Earth Man and the image of the city gent and that and that visual of him pulling out and pulling away from Meglos. So I can't have any of those three things. And if Fraser chooses any of those three things as his thing for episode four, I mean he can't choose all of them because they're not all in episode four. Uh, or his thing overall, his bonus thing, then you know I might claw a point back. But I, even if even if he chooses two things that I choose now or have already chosen, he's still beaten me. Uh, I'm I'm still going to get nowhere with Meglos, but that's okay because it's done its job. It's entertained me and it's uh, it's taken me out of the real world, which I was quite happy for it to do. So. Yeah, I spend my life just trying to be nice and reasonable and affable. People are still mean. Uh, it's uh, I think that's the thing that depresses me more than anything. So you go, oh, I really do try. 
to give nobody a reason to be horrible to me. Uh, but people, some people are still. But I also, you also, I, you know, I always try and give people the benefit of the doubt and go, well, what must their, you know, what must their life be like? What must they be feeling? Not and uh, not in a not in a victorious way. I don't like that kind of. Oh well, you know, you've probably got shit life. So ah uh, ah uh, uh. I don't think that it's more, um, you know, what what state of mind they must be in to be so quick to be threatening and unkind. Maybe he's been taken over by a spiky cactus and uh, therefore was not in control of himself. There we go. We'll give him the benefit. He did have a rather um, uh, wispy beard. Uh, not not. I mean, he could have taken me out. I'm sure. Well, I know. Uh, it was it was uh, wiry and aggressive, and I am uh, bumbling, and <laughs> my my muscles are knitted together with tweed. But I had a mu- I had a much better set of facial hair than him. Um, yes, wispy like a cactus spike was his excuse for a moustache. Well, oh, oh, I could have flayed him with my tongue. Now, <laughs> uh, you see, you have to laugh as well, isn't it? That's what Doctor Who teaches you. That's why I sort of forgive sometimes Tom Baker his uh, his cavalier attitude towards the drama. I mean, he is naughty, um, but he was my first doctor and he's the doctor, if any, that tells us that, you know, the way to deal with the violent and the threatening and the pompous and the self-aggrandizing and the downright nasty is to, is to, is to one, def- you know, deflate it and to defeat it with, defeat it with humour. Um, I mean, I didn't defeat it with humour then. I defeated it with, you know, just being very calm and not inflaming the situation. But uh, I'm, I'll have to turn it into humour from here on in because, well, I won't. What I'll do is I'll replay it in my head over and over again between now and the day I die, thinking of all the things I should have said and done. <laughs> and will make myself watch Doctor Who in order to forget it. So, uh, listen, this episode has been longer than a, a, even the episode for, episode four of Megalos should have been. I am going to choose. Well, I'm not going to choose the death of Lexa. Um, I'm not going to choose the scene where the guard gets zapped twice by K9. Uh, my favourite thing about episode four and my favourite thing about Megalos as a whole. Well, I think my favourite thing about episode four is probably the gag about the coat. <laughs> I do like the gag about the coat and that, that, you know, the line about now he's finished playing the Doctor is rather fun, even though I don't think the dates quite tie up. Uh, don't write in. I'll check immediately after this to satisfy myself. And uh, uh, if, I, if I'm right, I'll be pleased. And if I'm wrong, oh, well, never mind. Because uh, I do not research for these. I research for the other ones. These are the ones I just try and do off the top of my head because I can't spend every minute of every day preparing for these. So... I'm writing a book about Quasimass, don't you know? Um, so, and, you know, walking my dog to get peaceful and relaxed in the park that I get threatened in. Right, shush. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, I think the joke about the coat is my favourite thing about episode four. And I think my favourite thing about the whole of Megalos is that wonderful story and well and I remember because I'd not remembered the character I have to say having watched it and then I got the book 
and the book was was one of the as I say one of the few books that I got not that long after broadcast you know it was a story that was still quite fresh to me and I got the target novel and again I tended to get the target novels to try and picture the stories I hadn't seen or couldn't see so the idea of reading Megalos, well, I kind of knew Megalos, but enough time, you know, but, you know, I, there was no chance of ever watching it on video or anything in those days. So I did read the book. And I remember being thoroughly taken with the character of Brotterdack. Uh, and I tried to imagine what he would look like. I couldn't, Im- I couldn't imagine him. As I say, I couldn't remember him from the TV version. And then I remember watching this thing called Brat Farrar that had Mark Greenstreet as, as twins in it, actually, and uh, had... Uh, was it Hannah Gordon or Prunella Scales? I think it was Hannah Gordon, maybe. Uh, and uh, and they got top billing over Mark Greenstreet. Frederick Treves and the woman, whoever it was, uh, got got credited ab- over Mark Greenstreet, even though he was, you know, did the most in it. So I thought, well, they must be very famous, but I don't know this Frederick Treves. Uh, and then I'd see him pop up in other things. And, and it was only when I got the Doctor Who magazine and the program you know the episode guide that i thought well i need to because i knew bill fraser had played general gregor i knew that i knew by that time jacqueline hill had been lexa uh, i said well let's see who plays brotterdack then and i imagined him to be sort of a young cheeky actor uh, i hadn't quite registered in the book that he was you know as old and grizzled as uh, as as gregor um and i was shocked to see it was frederick chief so even then i was going i can't I can't rationalise that brigadiery, ministry type, tweed-jacketed sort of, uh, you know, posh guy actor, as John Deere says on my Twitter page. You know, he's the he's the isn't he the, the minister of defence or whatever he is, the general uh, chief of defence staff in uh, in yes, prime minister. Um, but he popped up in all sorts of stuff, and his son Simon Treves is a is a working actor today. And of course, he's Frederick Treves has the same name as the Frederick Treves who looked after the Elephant Man and indeed Frederick Treves is in the Elephant Man and I think he is a relation of the Frederick Treves uh, who was the guy that looked after Joseph John Merrick, the, the Elephant Man. So that's all nice too. But um, anyway, so, 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 the long and the short of it is. Uh, and then, of uh, uh, of course, I, I did, you know, was told that story or read that story or whatever, that Brotterdack is so called, and it's a great name. Uh, I called him Brotterdack, I think, when uh, when I read the book. But Brotterdack, as, as as the spelling of the series is, but not in the book, because it was changed between the series and the book, because John Nathan Turner discovered its true meaning, which is that Brotterdack is an anagram of bad actor, because John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch thought it would be a bad actor who would play the part. Uh, and when Frederick Treves was told this or discovered this, he you know, gleefully rang up his wife to tell her. Um, so it was all taken in good space. And of course, he's not he's not a bad actor at all. But but I have to say, even when I read it in the episode guide, I was like, I, I cannot imagine it being that that actor. And then when I watched it, when I finally got it on video, I still sort of thought he was unrecognisable because he's much scrawnier than you'd imagine and he were uh uh and, and you didn't normally see him with stubble and uh anyway yeah so it's a it's a complete transformation and he has great fun and he's very good and i like the joke so i like the character i like the joke i like that it's that actor i like that it's that actor completely unrecognisable 
I like that that actor's been in Doctor Who, but he's been in Doctor Who not playing a senior army official or a government type, but playing that and having a great time doing it. Uh, I mean, he is quite eye-popping and face-pulling, and the way he does the cliffhanger for episode two is, uh, you know, that that up up two or three octaves because it's dramatic sci-fi acting stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's um, Stephen Fry does it. I've mentioned this in other podcasts, I'm sure, where... where um, it's a black adder set in the future and uh, uh stephen fry plays this hugh laurie play this double-headed alien i think patsy burns the third head i think it's a triple-headed alien and he has a line where he says sent into the sprouting chamber and and, and that sort of you know up up a couple of notes uh into a screech is is the, very much the same as she's seen too much kill her so it's all it's all going on with Brotterdak. There's a history to it. There's a story behind it. To, even the change between the televised version and the book version. There's so much going on from that one simple thing, calling that you know what that that a character. It's a character, but it's but the the interest in it spins off in so many different directions, and that's what I love about Doctor Who is that you can have occasions like that that you know most people watching it won't know or care about that, but if you want, you can spin that 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 occurrence that character that name into all sorts of different directions from the actor playing it to the change to the the story behind it to the to the what the actor playing it did when he was told and all of that boom 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 love it so it's it's so it's a double whammy for protodac really it's the it's the coat gag is my favorite thing of episode four and my 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 bonus thing for the whole thing is is protodac the naming the casting the very existence and all the brouhaha that surrounds him uh so what are fraser's two things for this episode of happy times and places uh, where he you know will choose his favorite thing for episode four and his favorite bonus overall thing so let us choose episode four first hello come in fraser come in fraser hello again everybody um, episode four and my favorite thing that i have picked for episode four is the jungle of tigella um, don't honestly think that doctor who has managed to produce a bad jungle um, and i think this one is up there with all the greats we've had through the Tom Baker era, so Creature from the Pit, uh, Face of Evil, Planet of Evil, um, all fantastic jungles, and this one is no exception. Um, the thing that I really like about the jungle on Tigella, though, and that is the thing that I am actually picking, is the sound of the jungle. Uh, I just love that. It sounds just like the planet of the daleks and the dalek master planet has those sort of weird alien screeches that are instantly recognizable and instantly take you to a doctor who planet a doctor who alien jungle so the sound of tigella is my fourth favorite thing about megros well very very good uh i'm at a disadvantage there because unfortunately uh with the sound because um doing this i you know i'm chatting through it I do love the jungle sounds of Doctor Who. I, I particularly love them in the 60s. 
Uh, and I do think that jungle, I, I do think Doctor Who has a, an illustrious history of jungles. And the Tigella one, I suppose, doesn't get talked about that much. And when it does, it's it's the, the attention focuses on the, the bell plants and those those sequences, which were, you know, you know, were, was, uh, you, you know, publicity or, or or talk of the time was was, you know, the, attention was drawn to them and they're actually just a they're just quite a quick moment quite quite curse cursory in their uh screen time and execution uh but i i cannot criticize fraser's choice um it, it is not a bad jungle at all i didn't i didn't really hear what it sounded like this time around but if it's got those ah and all of that the 60s sounds uh if, if 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 they've used that tape then i love that tape and uh and i love all uh I love all the noises of uh, Doctor. I mean, Doctor Who's sound is very, very special. So, uh, Meglos bonus thing from Fraser. But yeah, that's a good choice. Wasn't one of my choices. See, we're spoilt for choice, even with dear old Meglos. Uh, so, bonus thing. Come in again, Fraser. So, for my fifth and final bonus thing, uh, that is. Um, the thing that I love about Megros, I have picked the incomparable, indomitable, indefatigable Jacqueline Hill. Um, what more can I say about Jacqueline Hill that hasn't been said before? Um, she's just an absolute legend of Doctor Who. Um, Barbara is sets the tone, sets the standard for um, companions. You see her DNA running right through into Rose and Amy and everyone else. Um, we've had ever since. Um, obviously in Megloss, though she's not playing Barbara, she's playing Lexa, so she comes in and plays a completely different character, but gives her such grace and statue and credibility and gravitas. She's just wonderful. She's just wonderful. That role could have been um, so much less than what it was, but Jacqueline Hill comes in and just you can't take your eyes off her every time she's on the screen and your heart just fills with so much warmth when you see her um, so yeah Jacqueline Hill is my bonus thing to love about Megros well we're back where we started because Jacqueline Hill was my choice for episode one and it was a uh, I mean I was slightly game playing there because I I didn't doubt for a second that Fraser would choose Jacqueline Hill so I got in there early although you know I love that bit where she goes then where in in episode one so it wasn't entirely gamesmanship but uh, but I, I suspected she'd be she'd be along sooner rather than later well I was wrong about that because she was around as late as possible ha <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I scramble a tiny, a tiny little scintilla of joy just at the end after after a, a rather barren four episodes. Just at the end, something comes along and and shows me that life is okay. A bit, which is a bit like my altercation in the park when those two nice passers-by stopped and just uh, made sure I was all right. Offered to walk me home as well. I clearly don't look like I can look after myself. And I, do you know what? I fantasise about doing Kung Fu. Um, but anyway, uh, perhaps Kung Fu is, you know, I was not born to do Kung Fu. I was born to, uh, you know, identify extras 
in episodes of Doctor Who. Somebody's got to do it. Have they? Somebody's got it. Well, I'm doing it anyway. So look, it's nice to have someone to talk to, even though I'm not talking directly to any of you. It's it. I you know I like communicating with people and um, uh, and uh, you know sh- sh- you know sharing my love of this stuff, and I hope you do too. It's 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 what lights up the darkness in my world and I'm sure in yours which is why you're when you're not watching Doctor Who you're you're listening to some prat talking about it and presumably a lot of you are walking your dogs right now because that's when I do my podcast listening to uh and uh so you know if you are set up if, if during this walk when you're trying to enjoy uh me list talking about episode four of Megalos you are set upon by some miscreants uh equally miscreanty hound uh, just remember to de-escalate the situation and come home and watch Megalos part four and all your cares will go away and I'm sure next time I speak to you this will be slightly less fresh in my mind uh, but, but as I say I know it will never quite go away isn't that mad oh dear life but anyway uh, we uh, we uh, we must not give it. It's, we, we must not. Uh, we must not give it any power, must we? Uh, much like, <laughs> much like what's happened to the poor residents of Tigella. Anyway, look, off we go. Uh, take good care of yourselves. It's a jungle out there. I think you'll find. 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 Well, so before you write in, let's get it out of the way. Tom Baker announced that he was leaving Doctor Who on the 3rd of November 1980. So it was after, indeed, the broadcast and production of Meglos. Now, had he decided before that and word got out and they'd stuck that into the... I don't know, I don't know. Things seem to happen a lot closer to the wire in those days. And anyway... um, yeah, by the time Warrior's Gate was on, because there was a gap in transmission, because it was done over Christmas time and all of that, um, uh, I did know that Tom Baker was leaving Doctor Who. So yes, I associate Warrior's Gate with knowing that Tom Baker's on the way out uh, and not Megloss, because we didn't know then. So uh, how that ties in with Brotterdak's line about now that he's not playing the Doctor, uh, I'm yeah, that 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 may have been as a result of stuff happening behind the scenes or whatever but it, it certainly wasn't in 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 my noggin and certainly you know wouldn't have occurred to anybody watching at the time because as far as anybody was concerned Tom Baker was still playing Doctor Who and they didn't find out that he wasn't going to be for a few weeks after Megloss had finished I knew my memory wasn't cheating me however I've gotten out to look at Brat Farrar which I was convinced said at the beginning starring Frederick Treves and either Hannah Gordon or Prinella Scales and Mark Greenstreet and with maybe with Dominique Barnes as well uh, in Brat Farrar and I've just had a look at it on uh, a little bit of it on YouTube where I can't, it, se- it seems to have all been edited together I don't know I haven't looked at the whole thing but the opening titles don't have any cast mentioned at all uh, and the closing titles Mark Greenstreet gets top billing as Brett Farrar and the other character that he played 
I mean, there is a Doctor Who connection, by the way, because Terence Dix was in the production. Um, and it's it's Angela Brown is the actress. Frederick Treves is in it, but so is Francis Matthews. And he actually seems to be, uh, he's certainly high, higher on the closing credits than Frederick Treves. So did I imagine that? But I don't know why it would have stuck in my head as being an odd thing. I remember thinking odd that the two sort of older actors were credited above the, the young star in the opening titles that I could see and I could see the cliffs that are in the opening titles that I've just watched on YouTube which don't mention any actors at all so I must I mean I must have just been hallucinating credits I mean stranger things have been known to happen uh, but uh, how weird that that anomalous thing was lodged in my head and actually didn't never existed so there we go I'm an unreliable witness even to my own childhood. So who knows what it is? What is true? I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure what's happened is that um, it's it's actually how it was, but somebody timey wimey has got and erased that to to, to 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 make it more in keeping with credits today, where uh, you know older actors aren't credited above younger actors because of some sort of perceived seniority. Uh, and I'm uh, I'm not sure the world's any better now that doesn't happen. But then again, perhaps it didn't. Because Grange Hill always used to list the teachers before the pupils. And I kind of approved of that slightly, you know, the adults before the young people. But um, that clearly never happened with Brat Farrer. And uh, my mind has completely made it up. And I've kind of just gone back and realised that perhaps I'm living a lie. Is that the first sign that I'm some kind of sleeper agent and my entire history is a work of fiction? Oh, my God. Um, okay, well, there we go. So I, I think you'll find um, I'm some sort of extraterrestrial assassin. <laughs> Great. Thank you for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Fraser Gregory, who can be found on Twitter at Felix Fraser. I'm grateful to him and, of course, to the patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, Rich Wiggins, Michael Williams, Rhys Williams, Andrew Willis, Andrew Wilson, Sidney Wilson, Stephen White, Tom White, Lee Wood, Colin Kilpatrick, Mark Ledston, Ian Clark, Alex Noonan, Gavin Skinner, Runar Brutig Olsen, Roland Moore, Ed Jefferson, James Curry Smith, Keith Say, Steve Herr, Robbie C, David Bickley, Tom White, Sean Ditchfield, Andy Kitching, Jim Trenowden, and Legion Henderson. I think there were two Tom Whites then, or was one of them an imposter? The music is by Dave Gates, artwork by Dylan Patterson. To support these podcasts, please go to patreon.com forward slash Toby where you get bonus releases, advanced releases, monthly AMAs, and exclusive content for as little as £3 a month. You can also go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby which has no monthly commitment and just a one-off donation, or, and I know times are tight financially, you can spend no money at all by giving these five stars, liking, subscribing, and doing all the cyberspace-friendly stuff that helps podcasts to flourish. Now, one of the lovely things about not being organised enough to do these all in one go means that I can get input from other people. 
in between episodes. So one of the lovely things about uh, Patronville is that uh, people are, can comment underneath the releases. And episode three of Megloss was released before I committed this verbal outpouring to, to, to tape. I'm, sh I'm sure it's not tape. Whatever it is that's inside my computer. Don't write in. I don't care. Anyway, so Fraser Gregory is one of those people, and he comments underneath Megloss 3, where I think I've mused as to whether Fraser was alive or not during Megloss. He says he's happy to confirm I was indeed alive at the time of Megloss. However, I was only 10 months old, so my memory is a little sketchy. Ah, OK. So you don't have uh, the same sort of in-your-mind's-eye memory that I have of, uh, of that ending to episode 3. Also in episode 3, I, I mused as to the likeliness or not of Carl Sagan's uh, dodecahedron model being uh, the one that ends up in Doctor Who. Now, Lisa and Andrew uh, are, uh, well, indeed, Andrew of Lisa and Andrew Troby uh, of Lisa and Andrew, who is also Troby. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, uh, one of them's called Andrew. One of them's got a spiky face and is, no, it's not, I think I've probably done enough jokes about two people being the same, but having a spiky face. Um, writes in and says uh, because they've been brilliant correspondents to this particular uh, installment dropping in lots of uh, Megloss uh, slash Carl Sagan interface bombs uh, Troby says uh, although it's unlikely that Carl Sagan's dinky dodecahedron makes an appearance here which I think I'm used in episode 3 the children of 1980 wouldn't have far to look for one as this is the period when Dungeons and Dragons starts to become more popular in the UK and you'd use one as the 12-sided die, part of a set of mini Pythagorean solids you'd get when purchasing the game. I remember. I had it. I did it. I mean, I didn't do it much, and but I remember I remember filling the, the die numbers with chalk so they're easier to read. That was one of the sort of things you had to do. And I remember lots of planning, and I think I remember lots of drawing of maps, but actually less game playing. I didn't have a big enough friends network. And I think I also have a, in my, you know, an image of uh, some you know dungeon master throwing his weight about i think i got i think it was a it was a position you, you know with with power that you could abuse if you so wanted to it's like anything isn't it uh, give, give somebody a bit of power and they ruin it but i might have just made that up but anyway i i very rarely played but i did lots of the planning and character making and you know pre-fun admin which which maybe is is I'm more drawn to the admin than the fun. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, and Cosmos, says uh, Troby, also uses scene sync in a couple of scenes when Carl is supposedly exploring the Great Library of Alexandria. So that's another Meglossy thing. Well, thank you to uh, Lisa and Andrew who uh, do uh, Round the Archive, which is a podcast I'd urge you to listen to. They are fascinating people who are also a force for good. Uh, people who, when I think of them, make me smile. And that's what it's all about, as as is uh, everyone with whom uh, I correspond over in Patronville. Now, that's not to lure you there with the promise of anything other than the odd benign interaction. But um, I'd like to say for the record that I'm very happy over there and I'm glad it exists and I'm grateful to all the people. But I'm grateful to everyone who listens full stop, not just uh, the people who are patrons, because... Um, well, otherwise this is a very pointless exercise. I hope it hasn't been. And I think it's always an exercise that benefits from uh, the uh, input of others. So I'm glad that uh, Lisa and Troby and Fraser and uh, others have uh, have had a chance to 
drop in some thoughts in between episodes that I've then been able to pop at the end because then it means also that this post-credits bit and this post-post-post-credits bit is perhaps less rambling and pointless than, than it usually is. And I shall stop now so that it doesn't become rambling and pointless like it usually is. It's interesting to note, though, isn't it, that the dodecahedron has more sides than the arguments on the planet Tigella. They're very two-sided. Science, religion, the, 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 the actual shape that they're arguing over is more multifaceted than the morality on which their planet is built. 